Welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, the podcast for people who like cycling and cycling-related tangents that could lead us, well, anywhere. This is the Ben Healy episode. Now, what can I tell you about Ben? Well, by the age of 19, he'd won a stage at the Tour de l'Avenir, a baby Giro stage, and the Irish National Road Championships in the elite category. His accent suggests he might be from Dudley, but he's not, and fair play to him, he bravely had a shot at the Dudley quiz anyway. He describes himself as an opportunist rider at present, but has plans to develop into the full GC contender package. I was also keen to learn what data screens he has on his bike computer on race day, and you do not want to miss that. So, if you're feeling like you're underachieving at whatever age you are now, and hearing about a youngster with the world at his feet would only make you feel worse, then this podcast isn't for you. But if you're the kind of person who knows deep down that even if you were 21 again, you'd still never get near the pro peloton and are genuinely happy for the chap, then listen on, because this is the Ben Healy episode. You know it's that time again, Podcast. Ben Healy started out in mountain biking and then earned his road racing stripes in the development team of Team Wiggins and then at Trinity Racing. His performances at the Tour de l'Avenir, the Baby Giro, and smashing the Irish National Championships with a huge solo effort attracted the attention of EF Education Easy Post. Now riding at World Tour level, he's about to embark on what could be a very special pro career. I caught up with Ben after his first three races for the team and was keen to know how it felt to take that step up to a World Tour team setup. Check it out. Welcome to the podcast, Ben Healy. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very, very good, mate. Um, thank you very much for turning up um, on the second occasion. Um, and we've rearranged it three or four times on email, so we're finally here. But we had an abortive attempt last week um, whilst I was in a hotel room in Bath. Um, now, I do believe, well, I wasn't overly happy with it, Ben. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I never like to start podcasts off on a bad foot, but I believed... Um, you guys continued to record um, whilst I thought I wasn't being listened to, and and our producer Niall is now going to insert um, what you recorded. I've not heard this. Um, yeah, let's see how this goes. Only forget how to add people to your computer, right? Ben Healy uh, Company. Uh, ben, can you explain what's going on? Can you can you tell the audience? Uh, pro there. I can't hear you, but he's still trying to yeah. get a message across. Yeah, um, yeah, so. Yeah, I'm just trying to start a couple podcast uh, yeah. here, but Matt's had a bit of a technical issue. And... I'm just cyclist. I'll just leave it. Just Ben Healy. And yeah, right. he's just um, ra- rambling on there. <laughs> but it's, it's pretty good, so might be entertaining for you guys. So he can't hear either of us, can he, Ben? No, no, it's just just me and Mark and uh, here we go. <laughs> Sorry about this, guys. Jesus. I don't know at this point, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, well there we go. Uh, a, a lovely false start of a pod. Um, we we think um, it's funny what you do when you can't see or hear somebody, um, and you just assume, isn't it? Then, yeah, I mean, it's like you, you, in a normal conversation, you can kind of like read someone's like tone, can't you? But like over the computer, it's kind of you, you always have to keep talking to 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 tell they're still there, I guess. Yes, it was. It was. I'll be honest with you. It was pretty awkward. Thanks for recording it. Anyway, um, a very unusual, unorthodox way to to join um, to join the podcast to start the podcast, Ben. But first and foremost, mate, thanks again. Let's start this podcast afresh, as it were. Although no doubt, Nile will leave all that in for your entertainment. Um, how the devil are you, mate? Yeah, good. Um, just travelled back this morning from uh, first race of the season, so a little bit tired, I guess. But you know, just just back here and nice and feeling yeah feeling feeling good after the first races so yeah because you've had um obviously you're you're riding at world tour level now with um with ef education easy post when i previously we were going to chat last week it was you hadn't raced you'd just been to the training camps um so i was going to ask you about that but actually it's kind of serendipitous because now you've, you've got three races under your belt and one of them are pretty strange new race so um you raced on the 12th the 13th and the 14th um how did it go basically so we'll, we'll start at your first race and then we go back and talk about um leading up to to you turning pro with these guys but um how did your first three races go 
Um, not great, actually. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. it was. It was. It's good to get started for sure. You know, like obviously you want to. I, I was really looking forward to these. You know, just just set that marker of of where I'm at, and especially like where I'm at to to everyone else, I guess. But yeah, I mean, not everything can go your way, can it? So yeah, I, I think just. I am prepared prepared well, but you know, I just I'm just lacking that bit of bit of race on my legs, I think. And you know, like in previous years I I've never raced this early on in the season too. Like especially yeah. with COVID the past couple of years, like I've started in in May and yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of entering the unknown. So yeah, not not ideal, but nonetheless it was it was fun racing still and got stuck in, helped the team where I could and like even though it still wasn't great for me, um, I I got stronger over the weekend, and I think that's that's what's important. You know, I I can look back and and know that I've still learned and taken away from those races, and and yeah, I think that's that's what's important. That's what my yep. my dad's always told me. You know, like if if you win everything, when when do you actually learn? So. I think that's a very, very um, sage, wise bit of advice. I think every single every single thing that you do, um, whether successful or unsuccessful, and mo- for most cyclists, let's be honest with you, if you measure it purely by results, um, you know, a, a cycling career can be just one long, exceptionally extended spell of, of a barren period, can't it? But obviously, it's far more nuanced and complicated than that. But, but what was it like, though, pinning your number on for the first time? Your first race was on the 12th, just a few days ago, wasn't it? Volta Ciclista de Mercia Costa Galida, or the Tour of Mercia. Um, well, that must have been a, a pretty big moment for you because you've been riding for the last couple of years with Wiggins and Trinity. You've had some exceptional results, which we'll talk about um, a little bit later in the pod. But finally pinning on that number and getting stuck in, describe how you felt um, about doing that. Yeah, it's... It's kind of crazy, actually. It was a bit, a bit of a surreal moment, you know, like just being on a bus for the first time. It's like I, I've always wanted to be on that bus. You know, it's yeah. like we've, we've rocked up to races as a comedy team, and like I mean, I've had it pretty good. We've still had a camper van and all, everything we've needed, you know. But yeah, it's just next level again. You know, I'm sitting on the bus, like everyone's got their own seats. We've got the DS at the front giving the the team talk and on the screen, and yeah, it, it was just it was so good. And like even on the start line, like I, I was stood next to my right, and then we're like, just, like obviously it's his first race as well, and we kind of look to each other and go, you know, it's like it, it, we're suddenly in World Tour kit on the start line. You know, it's, this is what we've been working towards, and yeah, it, it was really cool. What so what was your your role in? I mean, it was uh, you were, you were there with the team. Let's go through it: Julius Vandenberg, George Stenhauser, Tom Scully, the Scud, Sean Quinn, uh, Martin Vandenberg, Hadedo Nakani, and yourself. So pretty. A pretty young team, but there's some real experience in there as well. So, what was your role going into that race? What was the? I mean, your the DS was Juan Manuel Garati, who we all know very well. But what was your role going into that, Ben? Yeah. So the first day, it was so it was, it was majority flat. Well, there was there's three climbs. Um, it was kind of started off watch the breaks, make sure there's not like too many big teams in there, and yeah, just just patrol it really and. A small break went at the start, so that was fine. You could sit in, and then from then on, it was kind of there was a, a, a hall category climb in the middle of the race, and um, like we obviously we had Marion, and was kind of like it was Scully, Vandenberg, Berg's job to look after Marion, uh, try and get him to the finish if it was like a, a bunch sprint, you know, because yeah, he was our sprint on a team, and then me, Jorg, uh, Hidito and Sean and all that, the, you know, just like kinds of freedom to, to go with the moves and just see what we could do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have the legs. So yeah, I, I stayed with Marine and ended up helping Marine, but the race ended up being yeah, a pre- pretty hard race, I think. And it was only like 30 guys to the finish. So yeah, that was, that was quite hard. And then you, you raced again the following day. So how did that one go? Yeah, so it's kind of that was Almeria. So that was a more more of a flat race. Um, yeah. yeah, and that that was the kind of same tactic again from the start. You know, just just watch the breaks, see who's in it, and again it was just a yeah a, a safe a safe break that went. And yeah, our job was just to look after Marim and yeah, just keep him in good position all day, and make sure he's got everything he needs. And as we was coming into the finish, it was uh, more urban and 
yeah, let's say obviously more roundabouts, more corners, and it was just uh, a case of keeping them right safe, keeping them up towards the front, and like he, he, like obviously we haven't bonded as a team so much, and I feel as though to get that like real strong lead out going, you you need to to have a, a better understanding of each other, and yeah, like, yeah we kind of kind of knew this, so it was like what Mariah asked for was just get get him to three k, and then he can surf the wheels and. Like he's he he's shown he can do that and yeah and I think we did that quite well. He 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 was there in the finish and I think he rolled seventh in the end, so a uh, point pro and he looked to be like coming coming around them pretty quick as well. You know, if it was another fifty meters or so, he, he might have even got on the podium. So I think yeah, yeah that was a good race. That's a pretty solid result, like you say, straight off the bat. And that's a really important point. I mean, I often talk about it in commentary is looking at the different teams rider transfers I mean there are some teams that you know have only had one or two minor changes and are fielding similar squads albeit in a new kit but a lot of teams have had quite a few changes so there's a real different sense um, amongst the riders about how to how to read a race how to work as a unit and that isn't something that happens overnight is it I mean just before we move on to your third race which is another completely different proposition I mean how much of a sense of the rest of the team did you get and what was your I don't know what's the vibe you got off the team after the the first couple of training camps that you went to the team get together you got your kit you were part of the squad how did that whole thing go for you well, I'd imagine it'd been very enjoyable but what's your how do you kind of feel about the squad what's your sense of the squad yeah I think it's just like um, a real just happy friendly environment to be in you know um, we had our first training camp here in Girona. Um yeah, and it, it was. I was in a room with uh, Hugh Carthy, who yeah, okay. I, think I, I got on pretty well with actually, and it was nice to have someone of like yeah that experience to to be in a room with, and you know just kind of get advice from them here and there, and yeah, it, yeah a nice introduction into the team as well. It, it was it was really good actually. Um, yeah, and it was just like I haven't really done team camps before yeah. because of COVID. Uh, sure. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was just really nice to be together get on the equipment meet everyone kind of like get to know everyone as well you know create those bonds and yeah just see where everyone was at on the road as well it was it was good uh hugh Hugh carthy has been um a guest on this podcast one of my favorite guests actually um lovely lovely bloke did you uh chat much about snooker did he challenge you to a game of pool or anything like that uh, no, (laughs) there there was no like little games (laughs) like that in the hotel so I'm sure. I'm sure about him. But. <laughs> Potentially in the future, because I know he's a big, big fan of snooker, uh, and he's um, he sent me a picture a few weeks back of an, of an enormous telly he's, he's got, and him pictured himself watching snooker. You wouldn't believe it, but he's a big, 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 big fan of, of of that. So if he does ask you in the future, it might be worth if you can Ben, on the QT, uh, getting a few little practice matches in. Um, <laughs> just in case you come up against him, he's not just a great climber and all-round top bloke. He, he's um, yeah, a big fan of potting a ball or two. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a pool table around at the races, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to definitely. I think that will. Uh, I mean, he's such a lovely lad anyway. I think that will just endear you uh, to him a little bit more. Um, but okay. The next race up was, I, I saw bits of it, um, and I've seen a lot of images, was this brand new race on the calendar, wasn't it? Classica Gian Paracio Interiore, which is essentially the, for want of a better word, the Spanish version of Strada Bianca. That looked absolutely brutal. Yeah. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, yeah I think that, that's a, a good way to describe it. It was, it was such a fun race. Like, yeah. You know, like quite often you, you go to a race and if you're not going so well, you're like, oh, that was just horrible, you know, and you, you never want to go back. Um, but yeah, th- this race was, uh, it, yeah, it was right in my street. I like, I love like just like kind of that alternate like style, like with the gravel and like, yeah, Strada Bianca, you know, it was, it was so cool. And yeah, it was kind of section, gravel sections from the start, which were quite stressful. Uh, but yeah, we all made it, made it through quite well. Um, yeah, and then the midsection of the race was just like nice and relaxed. Lotto on the front, uh, working for for Tim Wellens, and yeah, then the the it kind of got heated just bef- like around one hundred and ten k before the first first sector, and yeah. yeah, we we all made it into the first sector like in a pretty good position, which yeah was was definitely vital because 
yeah, the, the it was gravel, but it wasn't like it was just like it was like hard pack with like okay. big big rocks almost. Right. It, like okay. it, it, it wasn't like that loose like deep gravel. It was like just it was almost it's like a different version of cobbles, I guess. It was like just like proper rough, like bumpy bumpy ground, you know. Right. And yeah, with then a bit of gravel on top as well. It, it was it made for for a tough climb actually. Uh, for me, me personally, they got got onto that first climb and. Yeah, like I said, good position. But I, I was just on like the coattails of the group and you know, like normally if you're feeling good at the front you, you get that washing machine effect of, of guys like coming up and rounds and back and you gotta keep doing that and you know, uh, it was kind of a telling sign that I wasn't feeling so good because I just I, I didn't have it in me to to get have that fight of, of keep getting back back to the front and where I needed to be on like a, a narrow technical road, you know, and yeah, as a result of that, I ended up just like being just off the back of back of the group over that first climb, and you know, like from then that that was my race over. It was like a group of twenty five off the front, and yeah, I I, I, try, I stuck with it until until I was pulled out. But yeah, that was that, and you know, you know, it was a hard race when there was only like forty finishes. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, there was forty yeah forty four finishes, and and looking at yeah everybody else i mean it was yeah less than half the field actually way less than less than half the field finished the race actually um so it was a, a certainly a baptism i mean you're you're obviously still exceptionally young for first year at, at world tour level i mean there's been quite a lot of talk recently amongst well, i don't want to get too controversial but um clearly you're a rider who's new to this but you, you're do you like the fact that it's seemingly now um race organizers are embracing gravel just a little bit more or are you because you the fact that you you just use the word fun whereas other riders are saying something else and it, i guess a lot of it depends on how you cope with it generally the riders do well really like it and if they get punted they don't um which i kind of get but but overall are you are you quite excited that we're getting a little bit of variation on the calendar and, and we're and they're taking you on routes that ordinarily you wouldn't go down are you are you all for that yeah definitely i mean I think there's definitely a, a time and a place for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I personally, I really enjoy it, you know, cause I, I come from, from mountain bike. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that scares me, you know? And sure. I think it's just something that people have to practice. And I guess it, it does add that level of uncertainty with punches and stuff, but you can get a puncher anywhere at the end of the day. And it's like, yeah, I, I can understand like if it's if it's like a grand tour and the third week and they're going over some like unnecessary patch of gravel where there's only like ten riders left after the climbs anyway and you know it's it is kind of yeah, it's not needed there I feel like. But then like for a race like we just did on Monday, it is yeah, it was so good. You know, it's just that like adds that extra factor and you know, it's just, just like cobbles a different version of cobbles really, you know, it's, yeah. it's it definitely just it, it's good fun. Me, yeah, yeah. it's it, it certainly yeah. I'm I'm as a as a commentator and as a spectator and as somebody who doesn't have to race over it, I I really embrace it. But I I do, I think it's important we listen to everybody. But as you say, I think there is a time and a place. But um, I think it also potentially opens things up to another a different sort of audience as well. Um, and I think we've got to keep trying to make things exciting. We don't have to completely reinvent the sport because the, the sport's beautiful enough. It's got a massively rich heritage as we know, but. Um, playing with it sometimes and just getting a little bit adventurous i think it's important to keep it to keep it to keep it alive and to keep it to keep people talking about it as well yeah definitely i mean look at Strada bianchi how popular that is now it is yeah being considered as a as a new monument you know it's it's for sure something that's it's going to be in the sport now and i think yeah if people embrace it it's only going to be better you know so no totally uh yeah i like the way that um yeah uh, that is in only what is it, twelve years, eleven or twelve years? It's not very long, is it? They are. I mean, I it'll, it'll tell you what, though, Ben, it will get my vote if it was gonna if they were gonna put it up for an, a, a monument. I think it would get my vote actually. I don't know how they do that. <laughs> how, thing, how are things officially? What what a great question! How are things officially recognised as a monument? And what order did the monuments happen in? I mean, I, I think I know a lot about the monuments, but at what point did they get? Uh, official recognition as a monument. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't, <laughs> I don't I got person to ask that. No, 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 sorry, mate. I was just, yeah. I, was wondering, I was thinking yeah. aloud. Maybe you should ask uh, uh, Charlie Wigalius. He might be able to help yeah. me out with that. Yeah. Yeah. In fairness, we um uh, we had a, a a questionnaire from 
Lekeep, I think it was, uh, like asking our, our like, the rider's opinion on um, like what do you class as a monument and what do you think makes a monument? So oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah so maybe. If, yeah, Strada could be a monument soon if if that's what the riders have asked for, you know. So, I guess I guess maybe that's that's how it's decided. What, what did you What did you put down? Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, yeah, it, it's just a few. It was like literally like a two minute questionnaire, but it was kind of just like your opinion on what makes a monument and what do you would you recognise Strada as being a monument? So right, okay, yeah, and. It was, it was a couple of seconds, you know, but I guess that's just, that was just gathering data from the riders and our opinions, really. I mean, that must be really exciting. I mean, you've, you've got uh, your first three races under your belt. Um, at some point, you'd like to think in the next, you know, during your your early tenure, you're, you are going to be riding a monument and then a grand tour at some point. You must be, you talked about the excitement of pinning the number on, just the excitement of getting on a team bus and, and having that. And then you've got the training camp, some of the best riders in the world. And it, it's one of the most popular teams out there as well. And it has been. It's It's got a very, very different culture. Um, I know a few of the riders and the staff within the team. And it, I think it's definitely a, a, a team for the fans. And it's a really, really multinational team as well. There's such an international flavour there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it is just like... A dream to be a part of you know it's like it is like it's one of the teams that like when i was first turned on to 23 i was asked you know what what team do you want to go to and i got even then i would have said uh, ef was always up there you know so yeah yeah to be here now and like be on the team and yeah it's it's exciting and yeah i look, look forward to the years to come really okay controversial question ben and you, you know i'm gonna put you really put you on the spot a little bit when you first saw the green shorts mate what were what were you thinking buddy T- tell me the truth just know that just uh, you know. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if i want to answer this one <laughs> no so we yeah we didn't see the kit until i saw it in real life but there, there were rumors of green shorts and yeah. i i was i don't know i really wasn't up for for seeing it but when, when i saw it in real life i i think my opinion was changed i like yeah I think that's fair because mm. because I I'd seen a couple of the photos, um, but they didn't. I don't think the first initial little photo shoot you did with the uh, the women's team um, had the green shorts, um, and then that, and then suddenly I was commentating on Marseille, and there and there you you guys were, and you were in that race with green shorts, and it was like whoa. But um, the the shade of the green is in is key here, isn't it? It's not some fluo green that's like burns your retinas. There's a fair bit of thought, and I yep, I do think it's. It's grown on me. I think I, I do think if if you're going to wear green shorts, that's not a bad shade. Yeah, definitely. I think the women's is actually still blue. Um, yes. And yeah, then, right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's us guys of easy post, but yeah, like if it was flora green, or <laughs> uh, that would have been a definite no from me. But yeah, yeah you'd the, have gone the, back to so you've gone back to Trinity guys. Can you have them back at Trinity, please? Yeah, I'm drawing yeah, the line yeah. at green <laughs> at green yeah. shorts. Uh, that that pink and blue kit that we had at Trinity, that was that. I think that's the pinnacle for me. though, still, that was that was a good kit. The, the, the Trinity kit, yeah, was was great. It was a really. I mean, mm-hmm. let's go back to the let's just just rewind uh, rewind a little bit, Ben. Just uh, for those of you who 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 don't know a lot about you, can you just give us a sense of your um, of how you started out a little bit, and then what led to you riding for Trinity, and then. You know the the magnificent. Let's be honest. The magnificent calendar that they always have. I mean, they the the riders that they've punted through to World Tour. There's just a, this endless roster. You're you're a part of that. Obviously, the most high profile is Tom Pidcock. But just give us um, an overview of how you started out and how you ended up riding for them. Yeah. So I guess real brief to start. I was I started out at a, at a track at Hell's Owen. Then yeah. I kind of realised. I was fairly rubbish at the track. Right. <laughs> so okay. I uh, moved to mountain bike like pretty young. I was on the uh, ODA, which is like the Olympic development stuff with GB um, yeah. on the mountain bike until I was junior. And I was, I was dropped from that. Then I went to Zappi, like junior team for yeah. on the road, which is when I first started racing internationally. And that was like, I went to that team and I didn't even realize I had an international calendar until yeah, until I got the calendar in like February, I was like, oh, I'm going, I'm going right. abroad this year. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, yeah, and then managed to blag my way onto Wiggins. Um, yeah, uh, and then yeah, that's kind of where where it starts, I guess. Um, 
on weekends. It was I had my exams that year, and I was kind of like I said, I I I kind of scraped my way onto that team. Um, so with Riggins itself, I didn't have have much like racing, but I actually had most of my international racing through Ireland, and that's where I got my opportunities. And yeah, that's that's where I kind of realised, you know, I'm I'm competing with some of the best guys in the world here at under twenty three, and I, I I'm I'm doing well. So yeah, and. I was 11th at Ghent Wevelgum and that kind of like just got got the ball rolling and yeah did a few international races here and there uh, managed to get into Lavenir with the UCI UCI team and yeah. the, I remember the day that I won like won a stage of Lavenir so well and before before the day RDS Richard Walls at the time goes you know just you give it everything I don't care if you like don't finish or or what have you, you know, as long as you just give it everything, you know you give it everything, then that's all I can ask for. And I like really took that to heart. And I just like I just went in with everything that I had, made the breakaway, managed to drop the breakaway and like and yeah, <laughs> won a stage of here. It's like, you know, I I went into that race just like so happy to even have like had the opportunity to start with the UCI team and somehow I'd managed to go and pull that off and yeah, that that was a big statement. I think of saying, you know, I'm I'm here to do well and and win races, and I guess that that really opens people's eyes, doesn't it? So. Yeah, and and it's an, it's not a team that are often talked about. Is the the Centro Mondial de Ciclismo, the UCI team? It's, I mean, just explain. I mean, that's quite an interesting point. I mean, I'm, and I'll go through a few of the riders that you left in your wake on that day because I, I actually want to explore that a little bit more because there's many people listening to. Uh, would know, and many of you don't, uh, the Tour de l'Avenir is basically the mini Tour de France, the under-23 Tour de France, really, and, and has been one of the most important pointers for for talent uh, for the best part of 30 years, 40 years, in fact. I've ridden it a couple of times back in the day. Um, but, yeah, an amazing, amazing race. But how did it come to pass that you ended up getting picked for the UCI team? Um, so it was kind of – it was always in the balance because – so the UCI team have like their core, core like base of riders, mm. um, and a lot of those being like African nations, because yeah. yeah, it's a team for for people with like less opportunities, I guess. Yeah. And that year, Eritrea managed to get a team into Lavanier, so okay. that opened up a few spots. Well. I didn't like. I didn't know whether I had, I had a place at Lavenir until literally like a week before, basically. Like I and I didn't even know there was it was a possibility of even going until a week before, and it was just because Neil Martin at the time was the like he looked after the under twenty threes for Cycling Island. Yeah. He was in contact with the Richard Walls, the guy running the the UCI team, and yeah, it was it me and another Irish guy managed to get a place. Like purely from chance, you know, and because Ireland couldn't couldn't get a team in, and yeah, there was some some spaces free, so we managed managed to go, which it's crazy when you think about it. It's just pure pure potluck. So, thing is, you want it, you can enjoy it. You know, you've obviously got to look forward, but it's nice sometimes to remind yourself of what you've achieved. So you won the stage. This is stage five from Espalion to Saint Julien, uh, Chapteau, um, 160k. Pretty hilly stage by the looks of it, but you won on your own. We just clipped off. Um, Matteo Jorgensen now rides for Movistar third. Somebody called, I know, Tom Pidcock was fourth. Not too sure what happened to him. Um, <laughs> Stefano Aldani, Tobias Foss, uh, Stefan Bissiger, who's now a teammate of yours. Um, and it goes on. Samuel Battistella, world champion, Barnabas Pete. I mean, yeah, the names, it's just... Um, all of your contemporaries, which is obvious, isn't it? But um, but at that point, I mean, um, you said you, you were delighted to win it, but you really, that was a proper announcement for you. I mean, so at what point then did you, Ben, realise that, um, okay, this isn't just like a hobby. This this is something that I, I want to do. I'm striving now to, to do this full-time at World Tour. Was there a point that that happened or you made a conscious decision or were you just in the midst of it and it just, it just ended up like that? Yeah, so that was... My first year under twenty three, mm. and like I made a like a pretty big effort to to get my A levels done to right. to the best that I could. Um, but yeah, like it was kind of what I said before that eleventh at Gent Weathergum was kind of the point where you know like this is my first race 
as an under 23 like internationally I think or second and it was like yeah I did that and I was like yeah you know what like I want to give this a real shot now and then it yeah. was just that Lavenir was just like it just backed that up you know because it, it's sure. the biggest stage for under 23 and I managed to do that as a first year and I was like yeah this 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 is possible now I mean so and then 2020 um was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it, really, for, for everybody? I mean, it goes without saying, but you still managed to pull off a win in the Ronde Lizard, didn't you, that 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 year? I mean, who did you actually um, ride for in, in 2020? Yeah, so that was Trinity Racing. Um, right. Okay, so, that, yeah, so but they, they weren't registered as a Williams, UCI team for that Williams year, were they? Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Wiggins folded and... Kind of evolved into Trinity Racing, I guess, because yeah. it is still the same people who run the team, same Swan years and all that. But yeah, and it was a bit of a bit of a rubbish year, I guess. I think I had yeah. like fourteen race days, right. um, and yeah, I just I, I just made the most of it really. Like we did the Baby Hero, I think that was I know I did European champs to start with, um, then straight to the Baby Hero where it ended up being me. Tom Glogue and Tom Pidcock and obviously Pidcock managed to managed to win. Yeah. Um I don't think he needed the help of, of me and me and Tom, but yeah, we were we were there if he That's needed. Very, but very modest of you, mate. <laughs> I thought, yeah, he, he was just another level. And you know, he, he's shown that now he stepped up as well. Yeah. But, but yeah, um did that and then Ronda Izzard. Uh I know I think it was I did a, my my first Elite Worlds. Uh, after Baby Giro, which was that was a pretty cool experience as well because the under twenty three one got cancelled and yeah yeah got the opportunity to to go to the um yeah then Ronda Izzard um managed to to win the last stage of that which yeah was was a pretty good feeling especially you know like with limited races and to be able to to prove myself again yeah that's that's what I needed to do I think and it was like it wasn't just like one of those, I it was a kind of a fluky win. It was like I, I think I put in a good performance and and really showed showed what I can do, which you know is always nice. Um, and then yeah, after that, onto to national champs, and yeah, I think this was probably the ride the ride of my life actually. National yeah. champs to to win that I, uh, attacks like probably a bit stupidly. It was like 155k to go so basically at the, at the start of the race and I was with, I was with one of a guy and yeah we I, I managed to like ride him off my wheel about 70k in and yeah it was was solo from then and I did pretty outrageous power and yeah, I, I look back. I'm not sure how I did that performance, but it was it was quite cool nonetheless. Yeah, because you'd, you'd won the under 23 time trial, and then you went. And I mean, it's a great great name for the location. It was in Nokaderi, uh, and I wonder if Niall, because Niall, our, our podcast producer, is from Ireland. I wonder if he knows Nokaderi. But anyway, you you clicked off, and I remember reading a little bit about the race, and um, old Nico Roach. Um, was like how what's happening up front i think he was convinced in a nice way that you might have been on the motorbike or something because <laughs> you averaged 42.5 k's an hour uh over the course 153 k's um what was your power mate what was your normal what was your average power then on that day then uh, uh, my, no- my normalized was 350 and my average was 330 and i was about 64 kilos flipping heck and it was like three three hours 45 yeah it was, yeah yeah Limonek, that is pretty impressive. So, so basically, yeah, I, I, I must sort of retract. Twenty twenty was a bit of a rubbish year. So, yeah, um, you're a <laughs> double national champion and senior elite national road champion, and wearing that jersey, that must have been. What was that like when you when you crossed the line and realised? Did that take a little bit of uh, coming to terms with? Because that's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, it, yeah, it, it was it was kind of surreal, actually. You know, like especially like the the way that I did it as well. It was just like. I, yeah, I just couldn't hurt the legs that day, and it, to do it on nas- at nationals is is a pretty cool feeling because you know like not many people actually get to win the national championship. So yeah, to have done it already, and I've like got the the band on my sleeve now as well. It's it's for sure pretty pretty cool. It's um, it's a a nice little reminder, isn't it? You know, you had a year in the in the jersey, and you did rather actually the following year because 
that national road race that was it for racing wasn't it you couldn't even because of the the dearth of races that am i am i correct in saying there was no more racing so you couldn't race to the following year in the jersey yeah yeah, yeah. that was that was it so in 2021 you were able to ride the uh we well, had a, you had a really really good um a, well, a cracking year which obviously led to where you are now and you pretty much picked up then didn't you um the stage went to complete the set. You know, you, you won a stage of the baby Giro, although you left it, mate, a bit close, didn't you? You made it the last stage, <laughs> or won the final stage of the baby Giro. Um, and and so you've got the set, you know, Lavenir, baby Giro, and 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 also add to that um, Ronde Lizard, that they are three of the most prestigious under 23 stage races out there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool title to have, I guess. Um, yeah, that... That baby zero one, it was a, a pure emotion. I think that last day, like um, yeah. so, Tom Gloke, they're, they're pretty good friends now. He just like he's, he says, I ride, I ride on on emotion. So, and like I'd put so much work into that baby zero, and uh, it kind of it didn't go right for me from the start. And then obviously I had a second on the stage by literally point three of a second in the TT, third yeah. on the stage, and. Yeah, my GC hope was kind of kind of gone. So the last day, I just ended up, yeah, <laughs> rising on on emotions and and managed to to get a win somehow. So yeah, that was pretty pretty cool way to do it. Yeah, that was um, to Castle Franco Veneto again. It was uh, is a hilly stage in the middle part, but a flatter at the end. How did that unfold then? What was the okay? You went into the race riding on emotion, and I'm trying to get a bit of a glimpse of what type of rider you are you are because you're only still. 21 but quite clearly by the fact that you decided to attack from the gun in the national road race and went on to win it that that's not let's say i'll be honest with that's not exactly tactically sound but you won it you know so um um are are you somebody who really thrives on that is that the bit of the sport that you love if you're feeling good go for it um yeah i think i'm 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 a bit of an opportunist i guess i take i take my opportunities when i come and I think, yeah, national national road race. That was a bit like there, I, there was some thought to that because you know the Irish nationals quite often you know it's it's, it's attack from the start yeah. and then it will come together after. But yeah. then if you miss that that original that original move, then it, it, the race is gone. You know, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That was the thinking there. But actually, yeah, uh, for me, I, I think. I just kind of like that consistent effort as well. So yeah. for me to get ahead early often works a lot better for me. And like that, that's kind of where I've had my success. But then, yeah, if, yeah, if like you ask, you think what, what sort of rider I am? Like personally, I like, I, I like everything. Like as long as it's, like I say, that consistent effort and like a real hard day, that yeah. that seems to be where I get well, I've had my results, but yeah, I'm, I'm still learning exactly what I am. And I think long-term, I would like to be a GC rider. So Right. Okay. I mean, that, that performance at that level, as well as winning the stage, and as you say, second place in the TT, I mean, that was, was that a surprise to you? Had you performed as well as that? Well, you were national under 23 TT champion, but at that level, coming so close to the win, that's an again. That must give you a lot of confidence for the future in relation to any aspirations in stage races. Yeah, definitely. I think I kind of know that I, I have had a half decent TT. Yeah, um, it's something that I've put a lot of, a lot of work into as well. So yeah, I, I I'd gone there aiming to win it, so, but yeah. Right. Uh, so I was kind of I'm a bit disappointed with second, but yeah, right. it's was, it was still still nice to actually to pull it out at that level as well. Well, we're, we're going to move on, um, Ben. We're actually we're not going to move on. We're going to go sideways now, if you don't mind. Cool. Now, yeah. um, I know you were born um, in uh, Kings Winford, weren't you? Yeah. Um, in the Midlands. Although you've got an Irish passport uh, and you're the Irish champion. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, now, we do. We have a, a, a hometown quiz in the Matt Stevens Unplugged podcast, and Kings Winford was so tiny that uh, there was I couldn't find anything else about it. So I've gone. <laughs> I've gone for Dudley, which basically is yeah. just down the road, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Uh, Ben Healy, it's time for the Dudley quiz. Yo yo, what's up? Y'all ready? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Dudley quiz. 
Oh, Dudley, 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 Dudley. Uh, yeah. So I, I take it. Well, I, fl- I really, really hope you've been a Dudley, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I have a Dudley postcode, so. I, oh, that yeah, one, good stuff. Dudley. Okay. Yeah, so you've yeah. probably been in the town centre, <laughs> hung about uh, on your bike or whatever, walked around the shops, um, that sort of stuff. Right. So this is the Dudley quiz. Now, don't worry, Ben. I'm not going to um, do your legs and put you on the spot there are multiple choice questions okay, okay so so yeah so you can just yeah. relax a little bit i could almost sense a bit of nervousness then but just relax it's absolutely fine um so four questions uh, loosely based around the city i believe of or is it a city or is it a town i don't know well i'll check it out uh, of dudley question number one okay right what famous rock band's album cover features a photograph of does of Dudley's um, Eve Hill uh, Eve Hill area. So there's a famous rock band. They've got an album cover, and it's of Dudley's Eve Hill area. So it's an, an area of Dudley. Is it the Sex Pistols? A, B, Black Sabbath, C, Led Zeppelin, or D, Dire Straits? It's a really iconic album cover, and it's basically a picture of Dudley, the Eve's Hill area. Who do you think it is? Uh, you know what I have. Zero idea. <laughs> it's going to be a pure guess. It's a pure guess. Sex yeah. Pistols, Black Sabbath, Led Zepp, or Dire Straits? Uh, let's go with Black Sabbath. Oh, nearly. Well, they were from the Midlands, um, yeah. but it's it's Led Zeppelin, mate. Led Zeppelin. Oh, Sorry about that. Yeah, um, yeah okay. Um, so don't worry. Um, you've, but if we to use a cycling analogy, you've missed the early break, mate, in the Irish yeah. champs. So yeah. you've got to try and try and pull this back now. Okay, what Scottish town is Dudley twinned with? Okay, is it A. Fort William, B. Girvan, C. Livingston, D. East Kilbride? So what Scottish town is Dudley <laughs> twinned with? You know, I have no idea again. So. I'm just going to have to go with the one that I know because they have a downhill World Cup there, which is quite cool. So, Fort William. Correct, Amundo, mate. Good, but good. Quality guess, mate. That that is a nice nice fact to know right now, actually. It is. Yeah, I mean, I always, I don't always, but um, when I'm on my bike and I go past town signs, I always have a little bit of a glimpse at where they're twinned with, just in case there's a pub quiz that asks that question, mate. So it's always (laughs) worth, uh, and I do like a pub quiz. There's a possibility I might be going to the pub quiz at the Dolphin tonight. It's a musical quiz. I wasn't feeling it earlier on, Ben, but you know what? Now I'm quizzing. I'm yeah. feeling like it tonight at, the, at our local pub. It's just a bit cold in one of the rooms. If they've got the fire on, it's good. Right, sorry, we, I've gone off on a tangent. But you've, you've basically the break are within sight now, mate, okay? So you've got a chance to get back on terms. Right, <laughs> this, this one's, uh, this one's yeah, unusual. Question three. On what street is Poundland in Dudley situated? Okay. <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it Lex's Road, L-E-X-S Road, um, High Street... Uh, numbers 223 to 228. Is it on Pensit Road or John Street? Um, I don't know, I'm just going to have to go for the High Street. Correct, Amundo, yeah. mate. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, mate. For pure guesses, that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're pure guesses, but you, there's some sort of logic that's at play here, mate. So I think you, I think you might be just a natural at, at quizzing. Yeah. Um, so, not too bad. Two out of three so far. Um, this one is very, very tangential. When were you born, mate? What year? 2000. So you're the same age as my lad. So this actually predates your birth by 22 years, well, 21 years, but it doesn't matter. This is all about guessing. Um, so question four. <laughs> when the National British Road Race Championships finished in Dudley um, in 1989, what colour Rudy Project sunglasses was I wearing? <laughs> <laughs> Were they okay? Were they? Because I got in the break that day, uh, and it finished it two years. We had it in Dudley. Um, yeah. And so, what color Rudy Project frames? So they were like they were the ones that like Bernard Hino used to wear. But then there was another offshoot. Were they bright orange, bright green, bright purple, or fluoro yellow? So, what color Rudy Project did I wear in the nineteen eighty nine national um, championships when it visited I'm Dudley? Gonna have to go with fluoro yellow. I feel like that, that's kind of that area, maybe. It was definitely that area, but it wasn't the spectacles I was wearing. It was purple, oh, mate. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Mm. I, 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 I basically matched them with my purple and pink 
no, my blue and purple uh, CD shoes at the time. Um, they were called CD triathlons. Look them up, mate. Uh, absolute oh, yeah. re- retro gold. Uh, so 50%, mate, uh, for that quiz. So not too bad. Let's have a round of applause from our studio audience. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there were mostly guesses there, mate, because there's no way you would have really known that. But I think that there is a picture um, of me on the internet from that race with the purple um, purple glasses, mate. If you fancy looking it up um, and having a word with uh, Hugh Carthy about it. Anyway, yeah. right. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the riders we're getting, no, we talked talk a little bit about about uh, Tom Pidcock and and the performances that you've been, you've, you, were, you were putting out as a, as a young rider you know, win, win the National Irish Championships. I'm just a little bit, it's a question we t- I talk about with a lot of my mates and and commentary colleagues. Um, and I was chatting about it with Adam Blythe the other day, is the, what is it? I mean, you don't know anything else, I guess, but just explain what it's like working with some of the best coaches and, and training in this era when we're seeing very, very young riders pretty much hit the ground running. And I know it's maybe not the same for everybody, but what we're seeing is, increasingly riders moving straight from the junior ranks into world tour or only having spent a couple of seasons at under 23 before moving on to the world tour and then within a season or so performing so so well can you give us a sense of why you might think that might be the case ben um i think like i kind of don't want to say it but i'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway i feel feel like i feel like it's a remco effect going right yeah you know like Remco, so I, I, Remco is the same year as me. Yeah. And like, so I had like quite a few races with him and he literally just, he'd attack from the start and just ride, literally ride everyone off his wheel. Yeah. And you'd never see him again. And then he'd put like five, 10 minutes into everyone over a hundred, hundred K, you mm. know? And he's obviously quick step and picked him up. He's doing really well for them. And I feel like a lot of guys are, are looking for that now. And to me, it feels like teams are, are willing to take the gamble on young guys and like pick them up relatively cheap and just, you know, just hope hope for the best. And right. like from, from my perspective, like I spent three years in under 23 and that was so valuable to me, just like learning the ropes, learning how to to ride the bunch, learning what to put in my wet bag, like just just like silly small stuff like that, you know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out in the next next few years because like some of the guys definitely do have the talent, but then yeah. it, it's the ones that don't. What are what is what's going to happen to them? You know. So, yeah. yeah. But, no, it's yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, we've got. I mean, the under twenty three category was was put in place for a reason wasn't it? because riders were coming through from juniors i mean this is going back before you were you were born mate but um 96 i think it was that the under 23 category came in to replace the old amateurs as a bridge between junior and an elite but now you you kind of question whether it's still viable but then we've got in the women's now there's the new under 23 category being recognized because the pool of talent is getting deeper there um it, it is an interesting one i mean the jump from Trinity, which is, is a team we've talked about um, a lot, they're an exceptionally good team. They've got all, they've got a brilliant program that gives you great exposure, clearly great support as well in terms of equipment, DSs and stuff. But what have you noticed that's different apart from budget and stuff like that, and obviously different teammates, your race program, uh, EF education, Easy Post so far um, in terms of um, a training environment? So is there a, is there like is it been steep learning curve or has it been quite gradual what are the expectancies from you and your coaches how does that how does that kind of work yeah so for me one the the big like attractions to ef uh, to begin with was the fact that i could actually stay with my coach okay um so yeah i'm so i've been coached by jacob tipper for like five years now and i've built that relationship with him you know and like I, I trust he's up to date on everything. I, yeah. I know he's like constantly reading into stuff, and yeah, it's it, it works well for me. So when I've gone to the team, like they've recognised that and have been like, you know, there's so much is changing for me this year anyway. Like it, it's good to keep your own coach and have that relationship, and you know, like if there's stuff in the team that I don't like, I've got someone to vent to still, yeah. and 
they they were just fully honest with that, and they they had a call with him and made sure they were happy with him as well. And yeah, that was it was all good, you know. But I think uh, like on the training side of it as well, it's it, I, I've kind of built up through under twenty three to a point where I'm at now that I can I can cope with the training and the racing and. Yeah, hopefully this year there's not going to be a huge like surprise for me. The extra stress on the body, and yeah. I, I, hopefully I, I should be ready for that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just having the the extra support in place from the team as well. Like we've got a nutritionist, chiropractors. Just, just I guess it, it it kind of you said it's not just budget, but it's all budget related, you know? Because yeah. Tr- Trinity did the best with what they had, and now like EF are just doing the best with what they've got you know and kind of because of the bigger budget like we've got all these extra things that definitely do play a part yeah that's quite interesting um that you I mean I don't know in terms of numbers how many teams well I know a few teams in particular do insist on riders being coached from within the infrastructure for, for various reasons and obviously different teams have different um, sets of ideologies different cultures and that's what makes the sport I guess so interesting uh, different cultural backgrounds as well but that's um and that shows a lot of faith in you and actually um it's it's probably a nod as well or not probably a nod it is definitely a nod to to Jacob as well I guess you know he's he's helped you know, there's your dedication your sacrifice your your ability uh your focus but under his tutelage to get you to this point to break up that relationship could potentially um no disrail what you've already achieved so that's really really interesting that they've allowed you to keep the coach from outside within the team so is he becoming a part of the team or is he just going to be aside from the team but still giving you the coaching how's it going to work yeah, he's, he is still aside from the team but you yeah. know he just like updates them or like like if I'm not going well, like the plans this, or if I am going well, then you know it's it's all good. And yeah, I think it's just as as long as like they're still checking on everything, and I have a call with my DS who like kind of looks after me in the team, every, like every couple of weeks, every week, just to make sure everything's going okay. And and yeah, I think as long as everything's going okay, and if it's not, there's like a plan and a reason. Uh, then they're happy with that, you know, and. Yeah, it's it's like why would why would you fix something that's not broke? So interesting. Yeah, it's no. I, I find that quite quite refreshing in many ways. I mean, there's uh, different ways to look at it, but I think uh, and almost well, that also eases you in as well. There's like a nice transition into this new environment whilst keeping that bit little bit of consistency too. I think it's a, a really uh, a really good idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, sorry, mate. It's a bit funny thing on the. Oh, Random hold on a minute. Hold on, mate. alert. Oh. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Right, Ben. Really sorry about that. This happens every now and again, um, as a lot of the regular podcast listeners will know. Maybe not yourself, but um, the Sigma guys installed a big, giant Russian supercomputer in my office at home, um, which... Anywhere, any any random time during a podcast, it goes off and fires off a random question. I can promise you, mate, I've never seen this question before. I've torn off the bit of fax paper, and I've and I'm and I'm contractually obliged, mate, to read this to you. Uh, okay, so here's a random question, mate. So I'm literally reading this fresh off the press. A billionaire maniac, Ben, offers you one um, a one million pound prize if you manage to spend another million pounds of their money in an airport duty free. What will you spend it on and at which airport's duty-free? Note, you only get the prize if the billionaire is suitably, is suitably impressed with your purchases. So you've got to spend a million pound at a duty-free airport, then you'll get another million pound on top of that, mate. So what airport do you go to and what are you going to buy? <laughs> God almighty, what a strange <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit, a bit of a random one. <laughs> um, oh, God, I don't even know. Like, I think... It'd have to be Amsterdam Airport because okay. oh, whenever, right, yeah. whenever yeah. I've gone there, you, you just get lost. So they've got to be just there's just shops everywhere, and they've got to have everything. So yeah, um, I don't really know. Probably, probably just like if I'm travelling as well, I can't buy too much, can I? Because it's got to go on the plane with me. Yeah, you got to think small, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe just like all I all I really need at that point is is some lunch really. Like the only other <laughs> stuff is is 
<laughs> mate, you've got, <laughs> mate, you've got to spend a million quid, buddy, and then you've got another million quid that's going to be straight in your bank. Uh, how about... Um, I'll give you a bit of a uh, hand here. You know what, actually? So, if I've got the choice... Okay, can you buy plane tickets in, in Duty Free? I don't know, but there's, I don't know. You'd be, I guess there'd be like an, another little booth where you could buy some more tickets. I guess. I mean, yeah, uh, I think I, mean, I think that's what I'd want. I'd want like, a, you know, like I I like going to different places and visiting different places. So like, I'm I'm not too bothered about stuff in like material things in in airport in the airport duty free. So if I could get like just like lots of tickets on like nice flights, like to spread across the year. To Ooh, like yeah. different different places. I think that I think that's what I'd have to go for. That's quite an imaginative. You could basically go like business class, can you? Club class, anywhere in the world, um, and that you'd soon burn through a bit of cash, wouldn't you? Doing that. Yeah, exactly. Why, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. <laughs> go anywhere. I, I think what I'd go. do, I probably, I think I'd probably stock up on Rolexes. Because um, and I'd, I'd think I'd go to, I'm, 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 I'd go to the Milan airport because they've got all the posh designer shops and it's not really my cup of tea those sorts of shops but I have on the odd occasion spied the old Rolex shops I think I'd just go in there clear them out um, clear out my Rolexes and then like maybe buy a few posh airline tickets and then hopefully yeah. get a million quid on top of that mate but um, yeah oh, it's, it's a thought but, yeah, yeah definitely mate yeah and you can you got, you got and then you got a, you could wear a different watch on each flight. As well. Cool, yeah. <laughs> there you go, mate. Um, yeah. Okay, Ben, random questions aside, here's another one. Have you, uh, what do you think of Magnus Court Nielsen's ho- hotel reviews on Instagram? Have you seen them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think they're pretty good. It's original, isn't it? Who else, who else is out there doing hotel reviews? So yeah, he, they, yeah. He said um, um, the reason that he, he does that, because I actually asked him, was um, so when is it a I'm not sure. One of his previous teams uh, were complaining at him for not doing enough social media posts a year. So his way around that was to start doing uh, hotel reviews. That's pretty good, though, because they're very, very, very dry, aren't they? Um, um, he's, he's, he's quite fond of an expletive as well, so he's, he's, he's quite happy to swear it up a little bit. But I love them. I think they're really, really funny. <laughs> I, I, I did a pod with... Jonathan Vorters about a year ago um, and I think the subject came up then and so I checked out his account and I'm one of his followers they're very very funny it just gives a marks out of 10 and like a little overview doesn't he because you do stay in some very interesting hotels don't you as a a professional cyclist some lovely ones and then some pretty low rent ones as well yeah there's definitely some questionable ones in there isn't there so oh god that's just a bit of an insight isn't it nice yeah (laughs) who's actually I mean, you've spent enough time sharing with rooms of people who not been funny. You can, I mean, a lot of people listen to this pod, but you, you can tell me who's the worst person. I mean, you like him in the racing and, you know, the rest of it. Who's the worst roommate you've ever had? Who's been an absolute nightmare to live with, mate? You know, I, I don't think I've ever had a bad roommate, which is a, right. a weird one. But I think, I think I'm the bad roommate because... <laughs> Because <laughs> so, I, I'm quite, so I'm quite a bad snorer. I think so, especially as like if I, if it's a long race and I start to get a bit like cracked, then you know, is there's definitely like oh, nobody wants to be in with Ben because uh, <laughs> I keep my phone. <laughs> but there is there's an upside to that because actually, then if there's, if someone's like DNF for whatever reason, then I'm I tend to be the one who gets the room to themselves. Which Ooh. yeah, that's that's definitely a bonus. That's a definite. That's a little kind of secret power to have in your back pocket, mate, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's that's definitely. No, I've I've not had any nightmare teammates. I, I had a I had a roommate once um, outside of cycling who used to fight himself while he was asleep, and that was te- absolutely <laughs> terrifying. That was weird. I woke woke up one night in Spain and I thought, what the hell's going on in the room? And it was it was my mate. I'm not going to give his name, but um, he's a lovely lovely bloke, but um fighting himself and shouting at himself in his sleep and like wrestling his own body weird really yeah that, and, that, and that'd and be a bit scary to work absolutely <laughs> terrifying and i honestly i i couldn't get to sleep and i had to tell him in the morning he said oh yeah i should, I should have told you about that matt it happens it happens all the time uh anyway so at least i knew but um um are you before we kind of wrap things up are you we, we talk a lot about um training numbers 
Are you somebody, obviously with your coach, Jacob, you, you have to really look into numbers and you were, you were clearly fully aware of the numbers you put out when you won the National Road Race. But are you, so classically in a race, um, Ben, and I remember asking this question a couple of years back in the Duro to like what data fields do riders have on their, on their head unit, which I was really surprised by the answers. Um, but what would you generally have as, as the data field? Do you, uh, do you like to look at your power or is it just where you're going and the rest is on feel? How do you, how do you run your cockpit, mate, as it were? Um, I have, so on Wahoo, um, I have the maps. Yep. Uh, if I'm using the big one, I have the, um, uh, what's it called? The, the elevation profile underneath yep. as well. And then I have time at the top and then that's what I go with. So you don't have you don't have your power really there. No, no. Like I, I definitely train like pretty closely to power, but like racing, I think if you start looking at your power, then it's yeah, it, you got to go with a race in my opinion. So that's 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 a really yeah. I mean, there's, obviously, there's no wrong or right answer, but I, I think a lot of um, people assume that riders, you know, always look to power, and there's a lot of control from the team car and riders are very much automated. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think some of the racing in recent years, mate, um, I think one of the reasons is we've got this young generation of riders who we've spoken about briefly um, who just do what they want. And, and ultimately, if you want to race to flow, the bike racing is about racing. It's not looking, looking at your head unit, really. You can download the data later and train to power, can't you? But ultimately, um, racing is something far more random, isn't it? And I, I'm I don't know, I'm not, not judging you, but I, I kind of like the fact you just look at the map. I think that's really lovely. Yeah, I mean, like if, you, if you're planning to sit at 360 watts, but then the race is going away from you, then what is that 360 watts going to do? You've got to try and push it a bit further, I guess. So well, that's, that's the way that I look at it anyway. And if I look down, I'm doing 450 watts and I know I can't sustain that for very long. I don't, I don't want to see it either. So, yeah, just, just the maps. <laughs> No, it's fascinating, mate. We, I'm gonna, mate. I'm gonna wrap things up in a few moments. But looking to the future, um, only three races in. You're blimey, you're not even 22, are you? Till the end of the year, so uh, you're gonna have a great, you know, 21st year. What do you know? What the rest of your program is going to look like over the coming months, mate? Yeah, I have. Um, so yeah, when we sat down at, so when I met my DS at the start of the year, um, it was kind of like asking me like what what do I want to do and I, yeah. I said that I'll just I want to get stuck into racing and I'll do anything and everything basically um, yeah. so yeah I'm doing I think one of my my big goals at the moment is I'm doing um, oh, I can't remember what it's called now <laughs> oh Romandy that's it oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. so Romandy that's that's something I'm building up to at the moment um, yeah but then I've got like Tour of South before that and yeah. Branch of Pills E3 Milano Torino, possibly opening weekend. So Ooh, that's, yeah. a, that's a nice that's a nice mix. The fact you, yeah. So you've got a proper little blend of different sorts of terrain and country there. So you've got a little bit of um kind of Flandrian stuff, um sta- French stage races, and then um Romandy's a great race. I I, I rode Romandy myself. It was a lovely, lovely race. Um I think you'd really enjoy that one, mate. And and it's got a super, super short prologue. Actually I think Cav might have won the prologue in that race in the past. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. it's a really, really, but great race, a lovely race, mate, a, lo- a lovely, lovely race. And and, uh, and what about talks of Grand Tours? Is that for? Is that been a discussion? I mean, it's still very, very early, but increasingly, young riders are, are getting a, an opportunity to ride Grand Tours. Is that a conversation you haven't had, or is it something that they said we'll talk about later in the year, or maybe heading into year two of your contract? Yeah, it hasn't really been mentioned yet, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the calendars have all been planned up until the tour and then sure. after the tour yeah it's done then so I think in my head I haven't really actually spoke to team about this but I feel as though there's going to be a bit of a, a fight for the vuelta between us young guys maybe right. I mean maybe none of us will go but that, yeah I'd like to think so so yeah okay. maybe that could be a bit of a bit of a goal for the second half of the season Okay, mate. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you get on, mate. Um, it's been lovely to talk to you. We're going to wrap it up, actually, um, with another mini quiz. It's called the it's called One Word Answer. I'm actually, I've not actually told, have I told Niall on WhatsApp? We communicate. Um, there we go. Have we, have we got a jingle um, for One Word Answer, Niall? Yes, we have. 
So we're going to wrap the we're going to wrap, wrap the pot up with. We won't even bother editing that bit out. Okay, it's time <laughs> for the one word answer. Is it a quiz? It's more of a question. The one word answer quiz. We'd spent an absolute fortune on that jingle. Um, okay, Ben. Um, so you're only allowed one word uh, for the answers, unless one of the answers actually is two words long, if you know what I mean. So anyway, last thing you ate. Uh, hummus. Hummus. Ooh, good. Okay. Goat or cow? Cow. Ooh, okay. Favourite soup? Leek and potato. Oh, what a choice. I might be having that for tea, actually. We've got, um, I bought my wife, Holly, uh, a soup maker for her birthday, and I think oh, there's yeah. one bubbling away downstairs right now. Yeah, um, that's a good option. It is, definitely a good option. Car or Carthy? I'm going to do it, I don't know. Carthy. Carthy, okay. Uh, I mean, Car, second choice as well, but he's a good lad, isn't he? Uh, uh, car with two R's, obviously. Um, and the final yeah. one, the last song you listen to. Ah, oh, I don't even. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was probably a podcast. Actually, it, Joe, Joe Rogan. All oh, right. Okay, so it's Joe. I think the last song I listened to was "Levitating" by Dua Lipa. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I tell you what, Ben. It's, it's been it's been an absolute blast, mate, having a chat chat with you. Um, hope it all goes well this year. I'm sure it will. You've got a cracking team um, to try and achieve your achieve your objectives with, mate. And um, I'll be looking forward to commentating. And hopefully, our paths will cross at some point later in the year. But for now, mate, it's goodbye and, and thanks again for joining us. Cool. Thanks for having me on. It's been yeah, good chat. Cheers, Ben. Thanks very much, mate. What a great lad Ben is. I really hope he enjoys his first year in the World Tour and finds more satisfaction with a few more races in his legs. And I'm sure that he will. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to a billionaire who's spending all their time coming up with madcap methods of offloading their wealth in airport duty freeze. Finally, a massive thanks again to Ben for joining us on the podcast today. I hope he has a great season and many successful years ahead of him. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.